0: When we talk about the history of the southwestern United States, we're mostly thinking about the people's history, but everybody comes from somewhere looking for land, food, and a place to call home. I'm Katie Stone, and here at the Children's Hour, we wanted to learn more about the history of the place we call home. In this series, we're diving into how the high desert region of the southwestern United States came to be what it is today, and who's shaped that history along the way. This is A Brief History of the American Southwest for Kids. I can't believe we're already on our final episode. We've covered so much ground that we're almost to the present day. And so much happened between where we left off and today.
1: And where is that again?
0: Okay, so we know after the Pueblo Revolt, haciendas like Los Luceros started popping up across the region under Spanish control. But they weren't the only group looking to expand their property. By the start of the 1800s, a new young country called the United States of America was eyeing the Southwest too. But things wouldn't be so simple as taking the land from Spain alone. In 1821, Mexico achieved independence and became its own country. And relations with the U.S. got worse and worse until eventually in 1846, Mexico and the U.S. went to war.
2: That war lasted for two years and ended in 1848 with the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo.
0: And that is a very important moment in our story because after 1848, as a result of this treaty, most of the land we now know as the American West officially became property of the United States.
3: This had been New Spain. And then when it became independent Mexico, this was all Mexican territory.
0: That's Melanie LaBorwit. She's the Native Arts and Culture Coordinator at the American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association. On our virtual field trip, she told us that after the treaty was signed, Mexico lost about a third of its territory. Most of the land we now know as the American West Coast, think of New Mexico, California, Nevada, and more, was the result of this 1848 treaty. Think about
3: all of this territory had... You know all of this, and even Mexico, there is many indigenous people there, who were just—it was just confusing for them, for people who lived in this place. Like let's say you lived in Santa Fe up here, you maybe were speaking Spanish for a hundred years or two hundred years, and you were still speaking Spanish when this became part of Mexican territory, and then. When the Mexicans opened up trade to the United States, so trade started coming across on what would become the Santa Fe Trail to Santa Fe. Meanwhile, there was another new trail that opened up out to California. And then there was the Camino Real that had been going on connecting Mexico City and then Spain. You had people who were sailing across for merchandise back and forth across the ocean and back again and coming up the Camino Real, the Royal Road, all the way up to Santa Fe. This is part of the reason why this was such an important hub for all of this in gatherings of influences and histories and stories was because this early trade route, which went over some historic walking trails that Native Americans had connected themselves with all of these communities from even times past.
0: And the way archaeologist Mary Wiaki puts it, this moment changed everything for the region. In 1848, there was this series of colonization that happened amongst a group
4: of people, not just Pueblo people, but a lot of other Native American tribes were subject to changes in their environment and how they
0: were socializing and moving across the terrain. America had big plans for the Southwest, including expanding the country's railroads. To do that, they needed more land. So we know America got a ton of land from the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, but during that same time, the U.S. military started forcing indigenous people out of their homelands and creating new, smaller communities for them to live on. The government called these areas reservations. During this time, America signed over 350 treaties, most often, Native peoples had no choice but to sign these agreements. They were being systematically killed by the Americans. Their villages burned to the ground. It was a very scary and violent time for indigenous people.
1: What did these treaties mean?
0: Well, that varied across the country. These tribal reservations were mostly independent, meaning that they would govern themselves. The deals often included a promise of peace, land boundaries, and resources to hunt and to fish, in exchange for tribes recognizing the United States' authority over the land outside their reservations. But in these deals, many tribes ended up forfeiting huge pieces of their homelands and moving away. Tribes that once lived as individual nations were now boxed into tiny communities together. By the late 1870s, America had succeeded in getting enough land from the native people to expand its railways. Trains made it easier than ever before to move people and goods across the nation. And with that technology came so much more than travel and trade. New ideas came to the Southwest, and new people too. They had different food, different style of clothing, you know, there was Italians, there were
4: Germans, it was bad enough understanding English, but here are these other language coming in, and we're like, okay. So we could capiche with a lot of groups of people.
0: It's amazing what the railroad brought. And those influences from other new groups weren't just because people were moving into the southwest. As more trains became available and common to travel with, many areas along the trains became tourist destinations.
3: The Santa Fe Railroad partnered with a company called the Fred Harvey Company, and they created these Indian detours that people could get off the train in the bigger cities along the route and then take a bus that would take you out to a village to see things. So people in the villages started changing the forms of the kinds of things that they started to make for the tourist market ashtrays and little decorative baskets and things like that that people could take back to Chicago or New Jersey or wherever it is that they took the train from
0: And around this time, in 1871, the United States broke the treaties that they made with Native peoples to let them live independently and on their own reservations. And just a few years after that, they went even farther and passed a law called the General Allotment Act, or the Dawes Act.
2: This law said that reservations were no longer properties that tribes owned together. Instead, that land would be for individual families to live on. And if native people wanted their land back, they'd have to give up their identities and live like European settlers.
4: The missions start coming in. The Christianity comes in. Religions want change in these people that they're seeing as as uncivilized. So you had Mormons, you had the Dutch Reformed Church, the Methodists and Baptists. You had all these groups coming in. They're looking at us as a third world country. They want to change us. They want us to become more likened to them.
0: One way they did this was through local churches which forced Native parents to send their children away to Christian boarding schools. These schools started popping up in the early 1800s and in 1817, Congress passed a law called the Civilization Fund Act, funding even more of them. But these places were very different from schools where American kids go today to learn.
4: They're taking children from New Mexico and placing them in Kansas and in Oklahoma. Some of them were back east. The first thing as a part of so-called civilizing the Native was trying to educate them. They take away their language. If they spoke in their Native tongue, they were severely punished. Your hair is cut. To a Native American, this long hair is your life. And it has... All the DNA from anybody and everybody you ever met in that life, that that hair grew. So here they were cutting your hair, making you wear these clothing that you weren't familiar with, speaking a language that you were barely familiar with, and never to see your parents again or your homeland. My friends, the elders that I spoke to said they were placed in closets, they were whipped, they were starved, they were made to stand in the freezing cold weather. You were lucky if you ate. All these stories are terrible things.
0: These schools are no longer open, but they operated for a long time, up until the 1970s. Those collective memories linger in Native communities, even for those who didn't experience that treatment. Today, many tribes have regained at least some land back from the U.S. government, but their overall population is just a fraction of what it once was. The Southwest was once home to over 100 Pueblo nations. Today, there are just 19. But that hasn't stopped communities from celebrating and protecting their culture. Nearly a quarter of American native people live in our backyard, the Southwest. We still talk to one another. We have meetings, we have things that
4: concerned our our water rights, who's encroaching on our properties. So we're lucky as a people to still have our sacred lands. And that's what we are fighting today to protect with all our heart. And we dance and we pray and we sing for this land that we have left.
0: Over the course of our series, we've learned so much about our region It's a story of near constant conflict, pain and power struggle, but I hope you'll also hear the 23,000 years of indigenous strength in this history of endurance and resilience to preserve culture, family and land. Ready for some questions to see what we learned today?
1: True or false? The 1848 Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo meant that land we've been talking about in the past episodes became property of the United States.
2: True. It was Mexican territory before that, and Spanish even before that but Native people had been living on it the whole time. True or false? After this land was purchased by the U.S., the border with Mexico remained strictly closed.
1: False. There were actually lots of trade throughout the area, all the way from Mexico City to California. True or false? After the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, the U.S. government started forcing native people out of their homes.
2: True. The U.S. signed over 350 treaties that required native groups to give up their large areas of land for smaller, less desirable areas.
1: True or false. The influx of U.S. tourists to the southwest after the railroads were created caused indigenous art styles to change?
2: True, Americans couldn't bring back large items so native people began making little trinkets that could be taken home as souvenirs. True or false, the United States never broke the treaties they made with the native people.
1: False. Unfortunately, the General Allotment Act was passed in the late 1800s and it took away reservations from indigenous people unless they conformed to American culture. True or false, Europeans who bought land with native people on it tried to Americanize them by sending native kids to boarding schools.
2: True. Native children were treated horribly at these institutions and were severely punished for speaking their native language. True or false? Some of the boarding schools still exist today.
1: False. The last ones were closed in the 1970s. Last one! True or false, there are still nearly 100 Pueblos in the southwest today. False.
2: There used to be over 100, but now there are only 19 remaining.
0: I'm Katie Stone, and you're listening to The Children's Hour, a brief history of the American Southwest for kids. This was our sixth and final episode in our series. If you would like to hear the full stories from our virtual field trips, you can find our full episodes at childrenshour.org history. This program is made possible in part with the support from the New Mexico Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities or the New Mexico Humanities Council.
2: The Children's Hour is produced by The Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit.
0: A brief history of the American Southwest for Kids was written and produced by me, Katie Stone, and by Christina Stella. We had help from Julia Wolfe, Isaac Lacerda, and Lily Mae Williams Hobbs. Our series theme music is performed by Marlon Magdalena, with additional music for this episode by Poddington Bear and Kevin McLeod. Special thanks to our amazing guests, historian, educator, and cultural arts consultant, Melanie Laborowit, and archaeologist, Mary Wiaki, from the Center for New Mexico Archaeology in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We had additional support from our history review team, whose members are listed at our website. If you like what you just heard and want to support our work, head to childrenshour.org and visit us anytime on social media at TCH Radio.
1: Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio.